When you look at the close connection and the close weave and the deep respect for nature and the deep connection to each other, we needed each other. A tribe is a tribe because you can't survive in nature alone. It's too dangerous and it's too hard going. So we had each other. We had a respect for nature, a connection to nature. We got emotional fulfillment by eating the food that we gathered or the food that we hunted or the food that we cultivated. There was a deep sense of gratitude and grace because we would grind our own grains by hand. So everything that we got came from the sun, the moon, the earth, the environment. And it was as though we were one with it all. That's Paul Check, and this is episode 226 of Wellness Force Radio. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. On this episode, we bring you the start of a special edition, three-part series with the one and only godfather of wellness, Mr. Paul Check, a man who needs almost no introduction. But if you haven't heard of Paul for over 30 years, Paul Check has been a world-renowned expert in the fields of corrective and high-performance exercise, kinesiology, stress management, and holistic wellness. Paul is the founder of the Czech Institute, which stands for Corrective Holistic Exercise Kinesiology. And he's the founder of the PPS Success Mastery Coaching Program. Now, Paul travels the globe as an international presenter and has worked with some of the world's greatest athletes operating at the highest levels of sports and human performance. With too many awards, achievements, and accolades to list, Paul is widely known across the wellness industry for his radically poignant and sometimes very polarizing viewpoints about spirituality, fitness, wellness, and health. But as you'll experience in this special edition series, he's a practitioner who's not afraid to go against the grain in his search for the truth. And in this podcast, you'll notice that Paul will bring out the truth in you just as he did for me. Live and in person from the Heaven House in North County, San Diego, where we filmed this three-part series that is now available on YouTube. Make sure you go over to the Wellness Force YouTube channel to watch Paul live in action with myself, where we explore some of the deepest questions I've ever asked a mentor on the show. You know, this podcast, this series, is so powerful for me for so many different reasons. It took me 10 years, literally 10 years, years after reading Eat, Move, and Be Healthy in 2008 to be able to be in a position where I could support the Czech Institute and Paul. And I got to be honest with you, it feels pretty damn incredible to say the least, because this show is about something deeper. It's about the revolution, the change that this world needs, the change that this world gets to have, and the change you and I and our Wellness Force community believes in, where we're doing our work to discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well, and everything we've been learning together has prepared us for this moment with Paul. So get ready, because the roller coaster is about to begin. So many things Paul's going to express today will knock you on your ass but also fill you with compelling introspection and curiosity. So right now, before we begin this series, the Czech Institute and Paul were so generous enough to give everyone listening a free healthy core checklist. This is a simple and handy checklist for you to download for free right now. Tap your iPhone or your Android, access the show notes, or you can just head over 
to checkinstitute.com forward slash wellness force. Get the handcrafted checklist from Paul to address your current core function. I mean, everything starts in our core anyways. That's where our digestion and breath and energy, everything begins. Head over to checkinstitute.com forward slash wellness force and download your free healthy core checklist. From Paul Check. <laughs> now, in this first episode, we talk with Paul about his role as an elder in the wellness industry, why he started the Czech Institute in 1995 and its evolution, why the word love is part of revolution, instant gratification in our society, how it's training people's brains for negativity and what you can do to circumvent this. We drop into a rich conversation about the ancient practices from our ancestors that we all can begin to step into today and brainwashing, vaccinations, mental health, and so many other exciting topics live for you right now. Let's take a deep breath and a trip to Paul's home for this first episode in our three-part series with the one and only Paul Check. Okay, Paul, we're going to do a sound check. Solid. Rolling on a river. Rolling. Rolling. Paul, you have a great singing voice. Were you a singer? <laughs> Penny wouldn't think I have a great singing voice. <laughs> but uh, I sing a lot with my clients. It's part of my work. Hmm. And I develop songs, teaching songs that all my students sing and my patients sing uh, to help them um, bring the key elements of each of the four doctors that I teach. Yep into their unconscious mind so that they make effective decisions and choices without having to consciously think about it. It's part of the, the same way that the native traditions and the traditions of antiquity used oral transmission. And our brains are actually better designed for oral transmission. And when we say something, we create the vibration so it resonates within our whole body and through our chakra systems and actually imprints the message into, our, into the water of our body. So it's, you, when you read something, there's no vibration there. There's, there there's, there's the vibration of light and you're reading on the page, but when you say it or sing it, you're resonating every molecule in your body. So it actually takes the depth of the understanding to a cellular level instead of just an intellectual level. So I, I do a lot of singing with my patients and I wrote these songs um, because I realized that people needed something that brought them into a positive, affirmative state for their own health, their own healing, their own well-being. And, you know, there's a saying that says, being happy may not make you sing, but singing makes you happy. Mm. And because a lot of the people that come for help with me are in states of, <laughs> let's say they're having a hard time creating happiness quite often. Yeah. And since there's key teaching principles that have to be understood or a person will repeatedly create more problems than their pills and their doctors and their gimmicks can fix. I found that I would lean on the wisdom of the wise elders and use the same technology. So I went into meditation and asked my soul to guide me to the creation of a song for each of the four doctors that was as short as possible that could go in a rhythm that would carry the principal meanings of each of those doctors. And so I often have them throw some dried beans in some jars or buy some rattles and rattle and sing. And they do that. They sing each, four, uh, each of the songs four times a day until they have them to the point where they can sing them 
when they're drunk out of their minds or high on pot or whatever. Paul, I love that you brought up elders because this is such a special moment for me. Mm. You know, I felt in this health and wellness world, 2008, uh, my friend Sean Croxon at that time introduced me to your work. Oh, is that right? Wow. And, uh, and I, you know, eat, move and be healthy was right after that. And now 10 years later doing my work, the yeah. best of my ability, yeah, talking about physical and emotional. And we're here at your house. So thank you so much yeah, my pleasure. for having us at your home. Thank this is you. so special. And, and I think about this elder metaphor that you yeah. already talked about. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if you're becoming an elder for so many health and wellness leaders right now. Do you feel that as a sense in your body and your mind as an elder for a lot of people that are in the health and fitness industry? I, I, yes, I do. I have felt it for a long time, you know, though some people have only just found out about me. I've been doing this for 32 years. And, you know, even as a young man, I was in the position of being an elder because I have lived a very focused and very concentrated, intense life. So I've probably lived several lifetimes in this lifetime. But I think that the truth of the matter is, is it's important for us all to remember that we're actually an elder to anybody that's more ignorant about life than we are in whatever field of endeavor we're in. So if you know how to tie a shoe and a child doesn't, and you can teach them, then you're in the role of an elder. That's what elders do. And I think that there's certainly a level of maturity that has to come because you can't have wisdom without experience and you cannot have experience without time to have experience. So it, it, as elders go, it typically a person in a native tribe, you probably would have been an elder by the time you were you know, 32 to 35 years of age. But in our culture, you know, I'd say 90% of people haven't even developed an actual ego yet. They're still, you know, totally under the control of the church and programmed advertising and parental uh, dictates uh, right to the grave sometimes. So there's more of a need for elders now than there ever has been because we have a lot of children in adult bodies wearing suits, driving expensive cars, playing with expensive toys, and doing a lot of biohacking instead of really tapping into the truth of themselves and getting back to the wise principles that the elders instilled in uh, legitimate tribal societies. I feel like you're this elder for so many people, but it's also coming from 30 plus years. 32, yeah. 32. Uh, Gold's Gem here in PB, World's Gem now. My cousin Sal from my family, you actually used to train Sal. Wow. And so he was trained by you and your son uh, at that time when there was that transition going on at the gym. Uh-huh. But I have to ask you this, like at that time in the early 90s, when you were working here in San Diego, did you ever even have a vision for what the Czech Institute would become? Was that already a seed in your mind? No, uh, I I really decided that I would start an institute in, I believe it was about 95. And what happened was I used to own a physical therapy clinic with a partner who was a very skilled therapist. And the insurance companies were just raping us so bad. And we're creating an environment where we could only see people for no more than 30 minutes or we couldn't make enough money to survive because they were only paying us usually somewhere between 20 and 50% on our actual billing. And we were worth what we were billing. I think we were probably billing around 135 bucks an hour. That's pretty good for the 90s. Yeah. um, We were just billing based on the codes, right? Based on what we were doing clinically. But, you know... For that 135 bucks, we'd be lucky if we got $40 out of it. And so what we had to do to survive was we had to start seeing more and more people. 
and we started having to see multiple people. So you'd have one guy, you know, working on a total gym, another person doing breathing exercises, and you'd be mobilizing someone's rib. And it just, it was so against my spiritual philosophy. And, and because my knowledge base was such that I knew I needed every minute I had with each of these people. And my career has been one where I spent typically an hour per session on each person. But once I owned a physical therapy clinic and was getting most of my patients through doctor's referrals, and a lot of them aren't conditioned to pay cash, they don't want to pay cash. And so only the people that didn't have insurance that had enough knowledge of my reputation that were willing to pay cash would pay cash. But my my pursuit has always been one of asking, why is this happening? And not ever settling until I get to the actual core where I can identify what's called the etiology or the actual cause of what's driving whatever it is that a person has from headaches to back pain to anxiety or depression or whatever. So I've always had this interest in this pursuit of a deeper understanding of the human body, the human mind, and the human spirit, and how we relate to the earth and to the universe. But what actually happened is uh, Charles Polican sent me a couple of his strength coaches in in around '95, and and you know I probably am the guy that really developed the whole concept of core conditioning. I was probably the first person in the world traveling around the world lecturing on what we now know of as functional exercise. Uh, I was giving lectures on this stuff in 88. I developed a primal pattern movement system in 88. And um, Charles said, I want you to teach these guys how to properly assess and condition the core because it's a huge weakness in the whole conditioning arena. And they were so blown away. And these were highly skilled and highly educated, highly experienced strength coaches. And they, they said to me, man, you really need to teach this worldwide because this is powerful, effective stuff. And then at that time, you know, I was, Charles and I would interact with each other, hang out. I served as a consultant to him to help him rehabilitate the uh, captain of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs at the time, Gary Roberts, because he had a severe neck injury and was forced into medical retirement. And Charles reached an impasse with him because everything made him worse. And so I developed all the programs and coached Charles on how to implement them. And, and, he, and then I went to Canada for his uh, examination with the, um, the Flames uh, medical or the Maple Leafs medical doctor. And uh, he passed all his tests and it freaked the doctor out. And it's a it's very rare that an athlete can come back when they're forced into medical retirement because it's a high risk for the team because if the player can then prove that they shouldn't have been medically retired, it can create a legal battle. So the doctor was testing this guy every way from Sunday and I answered every one of his questions. And and so Charles was quite blown away by that. So that's what kind of developed the relationship. And then Charles told me at the time I was charging way too little for my services so Charles told me in 95, he said, if you didn't study another thing for 10 years, you'd still be a mile ahead of the industry. And so between his strength coaches and his inspiration, um, I decided that I would make it my life's uh, process at that point to take everything that I'd accumulated and 
systematize it so that uh, students could learn it. And so the Institute really kicked off in 95. It's interesting. My cousin said, yeah, Paul had me doing wood chomps and people in the gym thought he was crazy, but now they're all copying him. (laughs) Oh yeah. How's that for a paradigm flip? Well, you know, when I first started bringing Swiss balls to gyms in Gold's Gym, I used to get called a fag and a pussy and uh, in fact, a lot of gyms wouldn't even let me bring them in to the gyms. They they just, for whatever reason, thought it was stupid or whatever. And uh, many times bodybuilders and athletes would make nasty comments. And I would say, well, if you're such a tough guy, come on over here and do what I just did. So I'd be doing things like, you know, full, full range of motion crunches with a 180 pound dumbbell. And not one of them could do any of the things that I showed them to do. And that that freaked them out. And I've had more world-class athletes than I can count who I could just torture on the Swiss ball to the point that they just realize that that ball is a very, very powerful tool. Point being is I've implemented many, many things in the health and exercise industries. Uh, that's just a few of them. And I got constant criticism every step of the way, which is why you see that poster on the wall up there, which as you can see says, great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds, Albert Einstein. And it's damn true. Yeah, very true. And you have one foot in fitness, you have one foot in wellness. You also have, you know, so many medicine journeys under your belt, which we're going to talk about later in the show. And I think about the way that this world is turning now cannot exist in the same fashion of today. It has to change. And so I thought it'd be an interesting step off point for us to talk about this revolution, Paul. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. You've put out media where in revolution, there's the word love. And so I'd love for you to talk about what you see as this oil, pharma, and the agricultural complex. Just paint that picture for people that don't know, please. Well, I think it's it's really bigger than the oil and the pharma and the agricultural issue. I think that if you follow the money, you get back to a few key organizations. Um, I'm not someone that likes to talk about conspiracy theories because I think people get sidetracked by them. But there really is about 85 of the wealthiest families in the world that control everything. And they're called the Illuminati. And this is, you know, an old story. But if you just get rid of the name Illuminati, you just say, he who has the gold rules. It's always been that way. As long as there's been emperors and kings uh, and warlords, the difference is now they have commandeered modern science. And they have reached the level, you know, the Catholic Church is said to have had mastered brainwashing by the 8th century, and they've been perfecting it ever since. So it looks like the church and the state are separate, but they're not. I mean, all you got to do is look who voted for Donald Trump, and it's largely fundamentalist Christians, Mm -hmm. which is unfortunately a very low level of consciousness. And uh, so what I'm saying is it's not just the oil, it's not just the drug industry, it's because it's the communications industry, it's the education industry, it's the medical industry, it's the energy industry. I mean, you know, all of these things go hand in hand. Look, everything that you drive or fly is essentially running off of fossil fuel. But even particularly since Tesla, but there's many other like Keeley and many others that have come up with free energy technologies. And these patents are immediately taken away from them. A lot of them have lost their lives. They've been Uh, killed and left with suicide notes and their families have over and over said this isn't true. There's a book called The Politics of Healing by uh, Haley 
and he documents at least a dozen uh, doctors and therapists that develop things like cures for cancer and then suddenly vanished off the face of the earth. If you look at the uh, documentary Hoxie about Harry Hoxie, he was the first one to, well, he created a cure for cancer. Uh, it was natural, and when he wouldn't sell it to the AMA, they tried to wipe him out, and he was the first one to actually beat the American Medical Association in a lawsuit. What they didn't count on was not only a, was he a naturopathic physician, but his family was an oil drilling family, and they had a lot of money. And so though he was uh, a naturopathic physician, he wasn't short on money. So when they tried to get rid of this guy, he made it hard on them. And ultimately, they drove him up into Mexico to get, get him out of the country because he wouldn't sell it. You see, what happened was they wanted to buy the cure off him. He thought they wanted to buy it to help people, but really they wanted to get rid of it. And one of his stipulations was, I'll only sell this cure to you under the one condition that you allow anyone that cannot afford to get cancer treatment to have it for free. And they flat out refused to do it. And he said, I won't sell you. So they said, if you don't sell it to us, we're going to put you out of business. So he entered the battle. And eventually they did, they arrested him over and over and over again. He used to carry a wad of $10,000 and $100 bills. He just bailed himself out. <laughs> but what happened is whenever they would put him in jail, people would find out about it. And so many people had been helped by his work and knew who he was that every time they put him in jail, people would come to the jail with turkeys and pies and they would flood the driveways and they clog the roads up and the cops couldn't move in or out. It would just choke the whole thing out. So it got to be so prohibitive to arrest him that they had to figure out another way to do it. And so they took it higher, higher and higher up in the government until they finally uh, forced him out of, out of the United States. And now his clinics are in Mexico. This is just one example of suppression. So we see suppression from a medical perspective, from our soils. We've had Josh yeah. Tickell on the show who wrote Kiss the Ground. So mm -hmm. this regenerative cycle, the problems, we could probably do a four-hour podcast on what's going on with just the soil. But Well, I did a, a very comprehensive one with Kyle King. It's fantastic with Kyle. Yeah. We'll link that in the notes today, too. And I, yeah. I think about if you could actually talk to people about what's truly going on in this suppression and what they can do, we'll, we'll get to the solutions as well. But we look at just the suppression of the knowledge, Paul, yeah. about our soil and about the medical and about the oil. Well, it's all for corporate profit. Um, for example, one of the most commonly told you know, fallacies is that we can't feed the people of of the planet and the growing population with organic farming. Yeah. Which, and that is just exactly what they want people to think because that's the common excuse for the biotech industry, the GMO industry. So when you look at the big industry and how much they stand to make, it's, you know, billions on top of billions. But the fact of the matter is right in my library, I've got a book called Farmers of 40 Centuries by Dr. Hollis King, who was a professor of agriculture that the United States government sent to Korea, Japan, China, and other countries because they wanted to know, for example, how in the world could China feed such a massive population when only 14% of their land is arable or farmable? And this was around 1910, I believe, I think 1900 to 1910. And this is before there was heavy use of, of chemicals and all that, but they still knew something was going on because just doing the math on what the, the average American farmer was ever able to produce off their land, they knew something had to be going on in these places. And he went down and investigated and documented that these guys were such 
superior farmers to Western or American farmers. It was a joke. In fact, he calculated exactly how much they could produce and compared it, and he showed the average Chinese, excuse me, yeah, average Chinese farmer could produce more food, both in produce and animal flesh, on one and two-thirds of an acre than the average American farming family could produce on 40 acres. How so? How do they do that? Because they were returning the nutrients to the soil. And instead of depleting the soil, they were actually enlivening the soil and making it richer. They were doing crop rotations. They were doing green manuring. They were doing all the things that recapitulate the cycles of nature. They had studied nature. And they were working with Mother Nature, not against her. But you see, our problem all boils down to scientific materialism. And it all boils down, sadly, to this Christian idea that we are here to conquer the earth and that we can control everything and that human beings are superior to the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom and the insect kingdom and, and that this is kind of the whole planet is ours to own control. And the other thing is that there's a, this philosophy that, you know, that the end of days is coming and if you have taken Jesus as your savior, you will go to heaven. So the earth for a lot of these people is really like just a, kind of a, a halfway house. It's a way station. So it's kind of like a rental car, you know, beat the shit out of it and give it back. Who cares? We're not going to be here anyhow. But the natives never practiced that way. The, no native culture w- was that ridiculous. There have been times in the past, for example, if you study uh, 500 Nations that was produced by Kevin Costner, he talks about times where, you know, we ran into problems because there was so much firewood burning and natives had fished or hunted key areas out. But imagine that was, you know, back when the population, maybe the world population might have been a million or a million and a half. So we can overconsume even if we're living close to the earth, if you get too many people relative to what Mother Nature can produce. But when you look at things like Rudolf Steiner's biodynamic farming principles, which have been shown scientifically to be even more nutrient-dense and effective than, bio, uh, than organic farming, it's organic, but it's biodynamic. So the difference is it works with cosmic forces where organic is uh, a little bit more simpler. There are cosmic force considerations such as the force of the moon, the sun, the stars, uh, key cycles, planting cycles. So there is some of that in organic farming, but Steiner took it to a whole new level and developed basically homeopathic preparations that could enhance the microorganism functions and and many other functions in the soil. And so we, we are now in a scientific materialist culture where science denies God, uh, science denies religion in many ways, uh, science denies anything that cannot be weighed or measured Science thinks that everything's, you know, we have a chemistry that's still very much based on molecular concepts, but has not included things like the modern science of vibration or sonic geometry and many of the other things that seem like they're new. But I can show you a book, for for example, The Secret Life of Nature by, I think it's Christopher Bird, the guy that wrote The Secret Life of Plants. Peter Bird and Tompkins wrote The Secret Life of Plants, which is a phenomenal book. And... I think it's Christopher Bird who wrote The Secret Life of Nature, but he shows very elaborate drawings by clairvoyants like uh, Madame Blavatsky and Ledbetter 
and people like that who had identified elements in the periodic table that had not been yet identified by science and were later identified. And when the scientists looked at these drawings based on what they were seeing with high-powered electron microscopes, they were exact representations. So the point that I'm making is what we're calling modern technology is actually ancient technology. And people forget the pyramids were built thousands of years ago, and we still can't build one today <laughs> with what we call modern technology. Yes. So really what we have today is more what I would call arrogant technology. And it overlooks many, many things. And, and our whole education system is built on this sort of scientific materialistic paradigm. And if you can't weigh it or measure it, it doesn't exist. And I've had uh, science minds like that in a number of my lectures around the world, and they start talking like that with me. And, and I, maybe I'm talking about working with power animals or working with past life regressions, and they'll say, oh, you know, that's all bullshit. I can't even believe it. I you're... can't quantify that. Yes. I can't measure that. Yes, exactly. And so I mm. ask them a very simple question. I say to them, so what you're saying is if you can't pick it up on an instrument, then it doesn't exist. And they're basically saying, yes, essentially it doesn't exist. I say, well, there's a fundamental problem there because if you just study the history of science, as we've built more comprehensive instruments, we've identified all sorts of things that we didn't even know existed before. I mean, there was a time when nobody knew what radio waves were or television waves were or gamma or x-ray. But now we assume that they've always been around. Well, they have always been around, but you didn't know about it. So you're denying technologies that are inherent in the human being and you think just because you have not measured and developed an instrument to measure it, it doesn't exist. And so I asked them this one fundamental question. Do you believe in love? Well, they all say yes. I say, well, you can't weigh it or measure it. Do you have a single instrument that can pick up love and tell me how much you love your mother, your children, your wife, or yourself? No. So here you are denying the subtle realm. You're denying the subjective, and the subjective is the other side of the objective, just like the other side of a coin is the opposite of the heads or the tails that you're looking at. So if you call science, materialistic science, the objective side of the coin, it's equally backed by its complementary opposite, which is the subjective side. And the subjective side is all about feelings. It's the realm of the soul. It's the realm of the consciousness within us. Steiner said all the way back, probably in the late 1800s, he made a very profound statement. He said, man will continue to invent technologies outside of himself until he realizes that every technology that he's building is actually already present within himself. The question is, will he destroy the earth before he figures it out? Mm. And that's bang on. This is the exact paradigm we're operating from. And then these scientists, they birth children into the world. And these children, you talked about with Troy Casey on a Facebook Live recently. It's a question I asked you. And I said, Paul, what's your deepest edge of emotional intelligence? In other words, what's a current emotional challenge you're working through? You responded, the sadness of watching people pacify and lose themselves in instant gratification while that behavior destroys the infrastructure of the planet. Yeah. This thinking that, uh, well, I don't believe in love because I can't quantify it and whatever I can rape and pillage from the planet. This is actually the people that have, through millennia, kind of 
almost birth uh, men and women that don't have any connection to why we're actually here and what we're doing. And that leads to no. this instant gratification. I'd yes. love for you to talk about that. Well, the, you see, the, the, this is, it's a good conversation. It's a deep one. You know, think of, look, here we are in 2018. But most of these scientific technologies that we're talking about only appeared in the last hundred years. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that quantum physics began, and that was, let's call that around, you know, 1920 is when, if I remember right, quantum physics came to the forefront. But prior to that, physics itself, science itself is only a few hundred years old. So, the grand majority of the evolution of man, which depending on which philosophy you have, is potentially millions of years. I mean, the, the, you know, the whole, <laughs> you've got the Darwinian ideas, you've got all sorts of ideas, you've got religious ideas. I mean, there's fundamentalist Christians that say the earth's only 4,000-something years old, you know, and... It, That's an interesting viewpoint. Well, it is like as the comedian Bill Hicks says, so what do you think God did? Run around and buried fossils just to fuck with you? But... You know, there's a spectrum of consciousness within human beings. So you get people that are all the way down at the very level of child kind of concrete, you know, uh, for example, concrete learning. If you show a child a ball that's two colors, one half is black and one half is white, and you say to the child, what color is the ball? And they see the white half, they will say it's white. And if you say, are you sure? They'll say, yes. Are you absolutely sure the ball is white? Yes. And you turn it over and they go, oh my God. Like, it just shocks them that there was another color on the ball. And that's the level that most of the fundamentalist religions are at. You know, Ken Wilber studied this extensively, as have many others. The point is we have a string of levels of consciousness throughout human beings. The problem is that Earth is kind of like a kindergarten for souls, most of which are at a very low level of conscious development. But what I'm leading to here is that we've spent potentially millions of years living close to the earth, and we are products of the earth. In other words, our bodies are of the earth, but we are actually the whole cosmos. We couldn't be here without the sun. The sun couldn't be here without the rest of the universe. I mean, this has been studied. Every, every element in the periodic table, if you try to track it to a star— and then they say, okay, well, where'd that come from? They find out, well, stars are consumed by black holes or depends on whether you're into the electric universe theory, which I think is the best. But the reality of it is everything everywhere in the universe comes from everywhere else in the universe. So we are actually universal people that have, for a variety of different situations or theories, uh, found ourselves living here on planet Earth. There's spiritual reasons for that that would sidetrack the conversation, but let's just say this is a schoolyard for souls where we're, we inhabit the planet that, shall we say, gives us bodies and opportunities that are resonant with our level of spiritual awareness, and ultimately we grow into first becoming, first we're the citizen of, of a family, then we're the citizen of a group, such as a religion. But then we grow from ethnocentric to world-centric and from world-centric to cosmocentric. But in the, in, in the evolution of man, as we know it, the things that were nourishing to us was singing, dancing. I mean, if you go see a real shaman, there's generally four or five key questions they're going to ask you to find out really what the cause of your disease or your problem is. One, when did you stop singing? Two, when did you stop dancing? 
three, when did you stop enjoying stories? Stories. We used to sit around campfires and tell stories to entertain ourselves. We didn't have television. We had each other. This is why podcasting is coming back so strong. Sure, because we're telling, we're telling stories. We're using oral transmission again. You don't have to read and memorize piles of shit. And when you hear a good podcast, it sticks to you. It lights something up in your heart. Yeah, it sticks to you because it sticks to your soul. You hear truth and it makes your whole body vibrate. So when did you stop singing? When did you stop dancing? When did you stop enjoying stories? When did you stop enjoying being alone with yourself? That's a major issue. And when did you lose your sense of magic and mystery for the awe of life? Well, look how much depression we have in the world today. People are so caught up in what they can, they live based on what gadgets they can buy, what tricks they can, how cool their car is, what their clothes look like, this fad, that fad, this click. But what I'm saying is those questions are the questions of people that lived on the earth, that worshiped the animals. They're, they had ceremonial procedures where the shaman would connect to the oversoul of the moose or to the buffalo or to the deer or whatever they were hunting and ask permission to bring that into their bodies. And this was a spiritual, there was deep respect. And now what are we doing? We're slaughtering the hell out of animals in mass. We're poisoning them. We're drugging them. We're raising them in boxes so they don't even get to move. I mean, this is like that we have reached the level of technological unconsciousness where we think we're so smart, we don't realize how stupid we are. I mean, the definition I give for an expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less until they know absolutely everything about nothing, and we're there. But the key point that I'm driving at is, if you look at what, like, when, if you were in a native society, you would have idolized the warriors. They would have been the most amazing people, and the chief would, would have been like the god. And the chief's wife would have been the one really running the show. I mean, all chief's powers are divided by the number of women in his tent. And that's a fact. And if a man hasn't figured that out yet, he's stoned. And not in a good way. So we, we would have grown up carving things and learning how to work with the animals or how to make tools or ways to make our life more efficient, how to catch fish, how to weave a net, how to make clothes, how to how to do things where we actually got a tangible result. Like, wow, imagine making your first pair of pants out of leather. How cool that That'd would be. That'd be so cool. And imagine your first hunt and being initiated. We have no rites of initiation. So we have all these adults that are still acting like children, except instead of the hind tit, it's the ATM or the video game. But I'm driving at a deeper issue here. When you look at the close connection and the close weave and the deep respect for nature and the deep connection to each other, we needed each other, right? A tribe is a tribe because you can't survive in nature alone. It's too dangerous and it's too hard going. So we had each other. We had a respect for nature, a connection to nature. We got emotional fulfillment by eating the food that we gathered or the food that we hunted or the food that we cultivated, there was a deep sense of, of gratitude and grace because we would grind our own grains by hand, which was a stone. It was from the earth. So everything that we got came from the sun, the moon, the earth, the environment. And it was as though we were one with it all. So there was 
this, then we sang and we danced and we did arts and crafts and we had much healthier practices and beliefs around sex. If you study Terence McKenna's work and many others, many of these societies would do, um, usually on the new moon, mushroom journeys or use a psychedelic medicine because they found that it helped them reduce violence and to help lose the ego so you get even a deeper connection to nature and it deepened their worship. So what I'm sharing with you here is that when you eat your food with your hands, you grow it, you hunt it, you worship it, there is a level of physical satiation, but there's also a deep level of emotional connection and satisfaction. Yeah. And there's a perpetual pursuit of higher ideal because you want to understand things. You want to understand what lightning is. You know, that's what myths, myths are largely um, stories that explain what we couldn't understand the powers that we couldn't understand. And myths are teaching stories that tell us how to integrate with the universe, how to integrate with ourself, how to integrate with a tribe. What are the rights and the wrongs of living in a society so that it becomes sustainable? How do you interact with nature? But now we're so cocky, we think we know the answers to everything and that we can just disrespect everything. So our myth is, is, is actually broken, and, and Joseph Campbell makes it very clear, as do other mythologists, whenever a people loses its myth, it's on its way out. As you can imagine, work closely as a therapist with thousands of people and many famous movie stars and athletes and sports teams and Olympic committees. And one of the things, you know, look, there, when I wrote my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, 2002 or some damn thing. It took me three years to compile it and edit it down and everything. I did research at that time. In the United States, you could buy 4,000, I think, 369 books on diet. Yet we were the fattest, sickest people we'd ever been and we're worse today. So clearly, there's something missing. In other words, there's more to food than just feeding your body. And what I tell my students, you have to remember that the physical body feeds on food. The emotional body feeds on emotions and the mental body feeds on thoughts and ideas. But what happens is today we are so, there's so many ideas that we're confused and we don't know who to believe. So we end up with a mental hunger for the truth. And because our mind isn't satiated and we don't feel safe, we end up emotionally hungry for connection. And so research shows, for example, all these Facebook relationships and all these Twitters, twatters and tweeters, they're not actually creating healthy emotional connection and people are really going deeper into yeah. isolation. So when you consider that the way that we've come to live, which is largely driven by corporate interests and power interests, is such that we're always, all our ideas, our software's out of date, our ideas are out of date, and they keep going out of date, just like clothing manufacturers change shoe styles and clothing styles to keep you buying but nature doesn't move that fast. So, you know, you might have made a, a, a dress or something. It could have lasted you half your lifetime and you would have just kept fixing it. But now we're throwing, we're sucking nature into this vacuum just to make shit that we throw out. We've got, you know, a, a, an island of plastic sitting off the coast, uh, off the Pacific coast, they say is the size of Texas. The, we're poisoning the whole planet. But the real key point I'm driving at here is that we have to realize that we are trying to fill an emotional void and a mental void through food and objects, and most of what we're trying to fill ourselves with isn't even food. I mean, it's not even food. Most yeah. of the stuff people eating is not even food. Food is a living system, but 
pasteurized anything. And stuff that lasts for weeks on end on the shelf isn't food. It's just atoms. And your body needs more than matter to live off of. And if you eat food that's dead, you deplete your enzymatic systems to try to process dead food. And the next thing you know, you can't digest anything in the more, anymore. Then you... Then when you can't digest because of the stuff that's coming in on the food creates inflammation of the gut, you got a leaky gut. Then you got a bacterial dysbiosis. Then you got a fungal infection. Then you got a parasite infection. Then you look like shit. You feel like shit. You swell up. You get hot. Your joints ache. You can't sleep well. You're anxious. You got chemicals running through your body. There's over 68,000 dangerous chemicals put in food. I look in food additives and uh, dictionaries, and I'd say 30 to 40% of all the food chemicals are listed as gastrointestinal inflammatory. This is what's driving this emotional hunger and depression as well. Well, I'm saying that uh, it's what I'm saying is, is that when you look at the way we're living and you look at the, the, the whole split in religion and the separation of, you know, gods and heaven and you have to practice this religion or you're going to burn in hell. And if you touch your genitals, well, you know, now we've created a, a an angry, mean asshole of a god that's like a pissed off school teacher monitoring your every move, keeping records so that when you die, you got to go burn in hell. I mean, imagine being a kid raised like that. You're already into anxiety and 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 uh, fear out of the get go, and and you you you've lost your connection to nature. You're eating. Uh, Pop-Tarts and McDonald's horse shit, and you got McDonald's sponsoring the fucking Olympics. I mean, if that doesn't just put the freaking icing... McDonald's and hospitals as well. You know, that's, that's like, that's like uh, putting five more spikes in Jesus just to make sure he doesn't get off that damn cross. And so when we, when we look at all the silliness, and, and, and for me, as a guy that's been helping people for a long time, it boggles my mind that people keep... Look, it takes a lot of work to make yourself fat. You got to work at cancer for 10 good years. I mean, you got to live like a, like a complete idiot for 10 years. I mean, I'm not trying to be criticismal of anybody, but look... You don't get fat overnight. I mean, if you look in the mirror and you got pimples all over yourself and your body's growing and swelling and you're feeling like shit and your mind's not working, if you go to the doctor and he says, take this pill and it makes you worse, well, how freaking long do you do that before you finally say, these guys have it wrong. I've got to go find healthy people. I mean, the average person, average doctor's patient lives 10 years longer than the average diet, uh, the average physician. So there's an old saying, dead doctors don't lie. And... What I'm saying is people have got to start taking responsibility for themselves. They have got to be wise enough to say, this isn't working for me. It's not working for my kids. Our children, you know, my grandfather was a school teacher for 35 years in the Los Angeles School Department. And it's interesting because I was watching David Wilcock last night and he cited research that says our IQ on average has been going up three points a year for the last 150 years, but that does not at all match what I've seen, and, and I've been a teacher for a long time. I mean, I've got students coming to the Czech Institute that cannot even write a proper sentence. Mm. Everything looks like it's a text message. They, they don't know how to make a paragraph. I've got a ninth grade education, and I built the Czech Institute, so my ninth grade education carried more punch than what seems like most university educations carry today. And so we've got people that can't focus, they can't think, they want everything quick. They don't want to do the work. We're, we're at a place right now where if we don't 
if we don't get really conscious very quick, any minute now we can collapse Mother Nature. As I shared on Kyle's podcast, research now shows that, that NPK fertilizers are not breaking down in the soils. They're actually accumulating in the rocks underneath the topsoil. And if enough water hits those rocks, it could poison every river and all the oceans of the planet and kill everything. We've been using that stuff since about 1945 by billions and billions of pounds. Entomologists started noticing bug traffic was dropping all over the world and it became a bit of an alerting situation. So they started doing studies together and they recently re released a research report, which I have right here. And my, my friend Dave Murphy from Food Democracy Now! shared this with me. And they showed scientifically that bug traffic, which is the sex organs of this planet, has dropped 75% in the last 50 years. Rudolf Steiner said, again, around the year 1900, human life as we know it cannot exist without two things, bees and trees. And he said if we bring either of them to a critical level, life on this planet will cease to exist as we know it. And we're right there. We're, we've wiped out the rainforest. We've got huge problems with bees dying like crazy everywhere in the world, which they've tracked back to two key things. I've seen solid research showing it's pesticides, and electromagnetic pollution is also considered to be a major problem because it confuses them. And with all the night light, they can't rest. The poor little bees, it's like they're in Manhattan or something. You know, they can't rest. And so you take the information from the entomologist, you look at the soil scientists. You, you know, my, my point, my grandfather, who taught high school in Los Angeles for 35 years, told me that they had to keep lowering the standards of what it took to graduate because the high schools were getting so overcrowded because as the years went by, children got dumber and dumber. And I know it's from eating processed food and from not living in a healthy way, not using their bodies. Physical education eventually got taken out of the schools. The physical health of kids is that the worst it's ever been. We have more children. We have more suicide in every level. We have more obesity, more disease at every level. Yet, look, Modern science thinks it's so badass, and people fall hook, line, and sinker for all this. And even in, in my work, everyone's like, where's the double-blind research? I say, look, you got to be careful with double-blind research because it's double-blind. The human body's a very, very complex system of systems. It's a cybernetic system. And all this double-blind research is isolating things and making very, very bold assertions about this hormone or that function without realizing that there's a knock-on effect. There's not, you cannot affect one single hormone in the human body without a knock-on effect on every hormone in the body. It's like a spider web. There's no place you can touch it without moving the whole thing. So, you, you know, for example, people say, oh, well, you know, my functional medicine test says that I have stage two adrenal exhaustion, so I need to take licorice root and I need to take pregnenolone and blah, blah, blah. I say, well, yeah, good. So you're taking rick licorice root and pregnenolone. But no, that test didn't tell you a damn thing about how you burned your adrenals out. My point is science is good at objectifying snapshots, but they don't tell you a damn thing about how you got that way. And how you get that way is not living a natural life in harmony with the earth, the stars, the planet, without having a myth, without becoming a legitimate adult that learns how to stand on their own two feet and learns what you're really living for and what you stand up for. 
Get ready for part two, available right now on iTunes and YouTube. Click over to episode 227 to access the second part with Paul, where we go even deeper into the revolution that is coming. And a huge thank you and shout out to our show sponsor, Organifi, creators of the Organifi Green, Red, and Gold Juice. We talked so much with Paul today, and we'll continue in part two about the power of eating organic, clean vegetables and foods. But it's not always easy. Newsflash, you go to the grocery store, you buy things, they go bad. It takes time and effort. We can make it easier. We can stack the environment in our favor by getting the support we deserve through trusted, organic, GMO-free, adaptogen-rich superfoods that are slow-dried in a powder from Organifi. This is found in the Wellness Force Bundle. For less than a few bucks a day, you can get energy-boosting, nutrient-rich, and tasty plant compounds fast-delivered to your nervous system to give you not only the deep breaths you deserve throughout the day, but also more energy from the inside out. So put down the 3 p.m. cup of coffee in the afternoon. Head over to Organifi.com forward slash Wellness Force. You can use code Wellness Force to save big 20% off the bundle for the red, green, and gold juice. That's Organifi.com forward slash Wellness Force. Use code Wellness Force to get your savings and clean veggies and fruits concentrated down to a portable and easy to drink system for your busy day. Now, all you have to do is click over to episode number two, episode 227 with Paul. And until I see you there, I'm wishing you love and wellness.